God is good, and all the time, man, we serve a faithful God, a God that never leaves us or forsakes us, a God that never lets go. In the midst of our darkest hours, God is there. In the midst where it looks like everything is going to be destroyed, God is there. And we need to continue to trust in him and change our perspective, change what we are used to doing. Has anybody ever switched jobs, not careers, but jobs where, for example, you're a school teacher and you go work at a different school under a different principal or something of that nature. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to ask? Yes? Has that, anybody ever done that before? Okay. Have you gotten into that new job in the new place in your same field and they do things differently? And you, because, you know, we know it all, try to do it and impose what we think should be done and then to the point that the boss is like, but that's not how we do it here. When we come to Christ, many times we bring with us the baggage of our former employment. And we try to bring into our relationship with God the way we used to do things. And God says, that's not how it works here. See, in what you're used to doing it, it goes by what you see. But faith is all about doing it without seeing it. Faith is all about acting even when it looks like it's not going to work. Faith is all about that woman who looked at Elisha with a dead son in the house saying nothing's wrong. And your faith then requires action. You can't say you're in faith and then not do anything. Faith requires action. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then if you read in Hebrews chapter 11, it breaks down into by faith, Abraham did. By faith, Noah did. By faith. And it begins to recount all the different patriarchs and the things they did by faith. For example, Abraham, when he was in the land of Uz with his parents, God looked at him and said, Abram, I got plans for you. And I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your comfort zone to the place that I'm going to show you. Abraham didn't begin to walk in the desert waiting to hear where God was going to show to run back home and pack. Faith had Abraham pack everything, tell his dad, peace out, begin to walk the wilderness Until then, God said, this is where I'm taking you. That's faith. And many of us, we live in a pseudo faith, a not real faith. We tell people we're walking in faith, but our actions do not say we're walking in faith. Have you ever heard a kid tell another kid after they did something because you tell them, say, I'm sorry, look at them and say, I'm sorry. And then we say the next phrase. Say it again, and this time mean it. And y'all, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you've never had kids, and you forgot what it was like to be a kid. 
There is a difference between saying it and meaning it. And some of us, we tell people, we, we, we talk Christianese. I'm walking in faith, brother. I'm in faith. Because you know that's what you're supposed to say. But you're still... Please don't break. (laughs) You're still under the covers. You know what my kids do when they have a bad dream? They don't stay under their covers. They run to my bed. My six-year-old came to the bed the other day at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, said, Daddy, I'm having a bad dream. My response wasn't, what was your dream? My response was, get here next to me. And within a minute, she was out again. As a matter of fact, she slept that day till about 9 in the morning. We thought I kept going and taking her temperature. I was like, well, something's wrong. No, no, no. She got to a place of her safety, and that allowed her to rest. Oh, man, that's deep. It's over some of y'all's heads, but I'm going to try to get it to you. To truly be walking in faith, You get next to the person that brings you security, our Heavenly Father. But my daughter had to get out of her natural bed to go over to my bed. She came. She arose out of the dark place she was and went to the place where she could find safety. But many of us, man, we get comfortable Thank you to whoever lent us the sheets, but I might dirty them a little bit. I can watch them and return it, whoever's it was. We finally get out of the bed, but we want to stay like with our safety net. Holding on to our problem, holding on to our thing because we feel good. We're like a little baby that has a little you know, blanket or, or toy or, or thing that they don't let go of because that, that brings security, that brings things in. But, but, but what happens as your child begins to grow and goes to school, right? You don't send him to school with Blanky. You imagine a seventh grader pulling Blanky out of the book bag when somebody told them something? They'll really experience bullying. Yeah. No, no, no. As, as the parent, as the adult, as the one that knows and has been through, you look and you start saying, okay, th- this is good. This brings me some safety. But, but you know that you are more than a conqueror. You, you don't need this. And you try to still hang on to it and, and tip it in and hold it. And you get to the point, like, no, no, no. You need to get up out and you don't need that anymore. You have to arise out of the place where you were and run to the one that can give you the safety. Every single one of us has gone through stuff in life. And if we were honest and take our masks off, because aside of speaking Christianese, many of us are expert costume designers. I spoke about it for like three minutes to the men yesterday about social media and needing to have discernment when you look at other people's Instagrams because there is a very high percentage, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's very high of people that what they post ain't real. How many of you have posted something and it wasn't real. 
Also, mask still in place. Ah, you're a smart man. He said, I don't do social media. Smart man. I started social media when I began to youth pastor because it helped me keep a pulse on the young people. And even as your pastor, I can see sometimes things that are posted and I feel the spirit quicken and say, you need to pray for them because that's not real. And you know what happens is we begin to live our life based on everybody else's social media. Oh, they must have such an amazing marriage. Look at that. They haven't even slept in the same room for four weeks. Posting this thing, and if you actually zoom in and notice, right, like it's got the date from three years ago. Heard a story about a guy that was late to work, so he sent a message to his boss that he had gotten a flat tire and even sent a picture. The problem was he had just taken it off the Internet and didn't realize that there was still an advertisement on the corner of the image. So boss quickly found out that it wasn't real. And we're living these lives and watching all these different things. And it's making us want to stay in the bed under the covers, but it's time to get up. We all have problems. We all have issues. We all have circumstances. But we can't stay in the comfort. Pastor Fernie said a line yesterday in his preaching about finding our friends that I thought was amazing. Because he was talking about the paralyzed man. And he said the paralyzed man was on the bed And the bed was there to give him comfort. And it actually started me thinking of every time there was somebody who was paralyzed or ill that were on a bed, Jesus always said to them, arise, take the bed and go. But there had to be a moment of arising, of getting up, of doing something. And church, let me tell you, the time is now to arise. And we hear things like this. Why do bad things happen to? Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? You know, the scripture talks about bad stuff happening to good people. Go to Acts chapter 9. This is our message passage for today. Acts chapter 9. Hun, can you give me my water there, please? Thank you. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in a second. have to hydrate. So hot in here. Drench and sweat. All right. Brother, I am, I am drenched in sweat. I know you're cold, but I'm sorry. I thought about making 3W banquets and just putting them on the, on the pews. Yeah, 3W Snuggies, where you can still put your hand through and worship, right? No judgment. If you show up at church wearing a Snuggie, no judgment. I'm hot. It's, it's, it's hot. Like, not that I'm hot. You know, just in case, right? Like, we have two services, an English and a Spanish service. And in Spanish, I always have to be very aware of not using a word that in another country means something bad. So I have to worry about it. I just figured out, I just learned on Thursday I need to learn millennial vocabulary because there's certain words that mean totally different than what I know, and I got to be aware of that for a preach. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna tell you what happened to me on Thursday. Can I tell you what happened to me on Thursday? Yes. We're setting up for men's conference, and somebody needed a screwdriver to, un- to take something off, and I bring them a screwdriver, 
and they're doing it, and it's not doing anything. I said, hey, wait, careful. It's, it's a ratchet screwdriver. You got to, you know, because it spins. <laughs> and they look at me, it's like, pastor, it's not a ratchet screwdriver. That's an awesome, cool screwdriver. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's called a ratchet driver because it spins. <laughs> and like, oh, I thought you meant the millennial ratchet. I'm like, what's a millennial ratchet? <laughs> they're like, when millennials say that something is ratchet, it means that it's bad, that it's no good. Like, you went to a restaurant and the service was bad or the food was bad. You leave and you say, man, that place was ratchet. <laughs> you don't get it either, right? I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't. So now I need to find out how to speak to millennial and make sure I don't insult the millennial in the preaching, you know? They go back home and cry and, you know, very in touch with their emotions. Um, it's good to laugh, okay? So then I, I, I tell my brother Gaston, I don't know where Gaston's at right now, but I, him and I were talking afterwards, and I'm telling him the story, and I'm like, I know what happened. A millennial one day heard their father talking about a ratchet, whether it be a ratchet wrench or a screwdriver, they didn't know what it was, and they just thought it was something bad. They've never heard this word. It must be a bad word, you know? So they went somewhere and the food was bad. So then they said, man, that food was ratchet. And then it just stuck. Like that's how things happen in our vernacular, right? Like, like somebody didn't know what it really was. Then they used it. Like what was the other one that the young people taught me a couple of months ago? Uh, um, um, clout. Yeah. Clout. Right? What does clout mean? When somebody has clout, they've got power. They've got, you know, authority, right? That's not what it means to a millennial. Did you know that? Ah, I'm teaching you something else today. Okay. I promise you we're going to get back to the preaching, but this is good, right? Well, what's it that clout means again? I already forgot. Your cool status is your clout now. And, and, and we were just having a totally different conversation using the same word. I'm like, y'all need a dictionary. When in doubt, look it up in the real dictionary, not the urban dictionary, right? Anyways, all right, let's get back to the Word of God. We all got, we all got our, our, our last break. We're good back to the work, Word of God. Amen? All right, so, all right. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says, At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So let's pause there for a second. This woman, Tabitha, I'm going to tie my shoes so I don't fall down. This woman, Tabitha, she was a good Christian. She was a disciple. And not only was she a good Christian who was a disciple, but she did lots of good works. She was always helping people. She was helping widows. She was helping orphans. She was helping people all the time. And the Bible is very clear to mention that she was full of charitable deeds. But then it says in verse 37, it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So I can imagine some of these people saying, why does bad stuff happen to good people? She was a disciple. She followed what Jesus said. She, she, this is early in the book of Acts. Peter's still around. This is, she might have even known who Jesus was in the flesh. And she's like, the, the, the people are like, she's good. 
She does charitable deeds. She helps people. She helps a lady walk the street. She crochets stuff for him. She's good. And she got sick. Died. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? So then it says in the next verse, verse 38, since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. I mean, I can go off on a whole section of preaching about Peter hearing the news of something bad going on and rising up to deal with it. That's not the point of today's message. So we'll leave that one for next week or another one. Then turning, sorry, he, when he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. I, I, I get the picture of that, all right? Let me get this out of the way so everybody can see it. Here lies Dorcas, dead, washed in the middle of the bed in the upper room. And all around her are people weeping with their blankets and their clothes and their outfits that Dorcas had made for them. And, and I want to give you another little nugget, as Pastor Fernie would say. Just because you're old or young or wealthy or not or whatever the case might be, doesn't mean that you can't do something for somebody in the kingdom of God. Because this verse tells me that even though Dorcas, Tabitha, I'd rather say Tabitha, Dorcas just sounds weird. Tabitha was a disciple doing good stuff. She was knitting, sewing clothes for widows. Sometimes I hear people in the church, it's like, oh man, but I, I want to serve God, but there's nothing I can do. No, 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 no. There's a lot that you can do. You can call that person you haven't seen in a few weeks and say, can I pray for you? You can find out if somebody's in the hospital and you can get over there, whether it be through the bus or Uber or whatever, your Chevrolet legs, and walk there and get there and visit them. You can do something. There's always something for you to do to bless somebody and help somebody. So they're all there, weeping, crying. And then, verse 40 Peter does something. It says, Peter put them all out. Let me translate what Peter did. I'm going to show you. Peter got there and said, everybody here that's crying, get out of the room. Leave. I don't want you here. Get out. Wow, Peter was so mean. Peter was so rough. Peter kicked everybody out, and all they're doing is paying their respects. They're in pain with their blankets that she made for them. But Peter understood the concept that if everybody around your dead situation only talks about the fact that the situation is dead, faith dies with it. So Peter told everybody, get to get him and get out. Go. And then it says, he knelt down and prayed. Kicked everybody out, knelt down and prayed, 
And then he turned to the situation. He called it by name and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. She saw Peter and sat up. The first thing that Peter did when he found the dead situation was to kick out everybody who wasn't going to believe for life in the midst of death. You know, Peter didn't come up with that. He learned that from Jesus. When you find something in Scripture multiple times, you can really tell it's important. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you hear the story of Jairus, whose daughter was gravely ill. And the Bible says that he came to find Jesus and said to him, Jesus, my daughter is in her deathbed to the point of death. But if you come, I know that she will be made well. And you know what Jesus' answer was? Let's go. So Jesus and Jairus and the disciples, they start walking. And wherever Jesus went, a multitude gathered. So there's a multitude of people, and then this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. I mean, women, imagine that. Your menstrual cycle nonstop for 12 years. Some of y'all get your menstrual cycle and nobody sees you for three days. <laughs> Call out sick, all the different stuff. I believe, without a shadow of doubt, my wife's the toughest woman on the planet. She's like, I honor you, you're a rock star. I've never had her, and she does whatever the thing, she just goes. I know other husbands are saying, no, my, woman's, my wife's the, the, the toughest one on the planet, whatever. <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder, man. You ain't changing my mind. <laughs> Twelve years this woman had been bleeding. And the Bible is very clear to say that she had spent all her money on doctors and nothing. But she said to herself, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. Faith is a substance of thing hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So she goes to find Jesus and he's in the middle of a big crowd. And the scripture says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that she went all the way through the crowd simply to get to the hem of his garment. And when she touched it, instantly she was healed. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? The disciples are like, bro, you're tripping, you're crazy. There's a lot of people around us here. And you say, who touched you? And Jesus was very clear. He said, I know someone touched me because power came out of me. You guys are getting, like, I, I, I have about seven or eight sermons. I can come out of the last 10, 15 minutes, but, but we're in one, okay? We're going to, but I, I need somebody to get this. Jairus' level of faith was, Jesus, if you come, and Jesus said, I'll go. The woman with the issue of blood, her level of faith was, if I only get to him, I'll be made well. See, uh, faith is God meeting you where you are and where your expectation is. Because the one that has to hope for the miracle is you. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you're not believing for it, if you don't have expectation for it, it's not going to happen. So let's get back to the story. The woman is healed. She tells Jesus, I'm the one who touched her. She was found out. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go. And in that process, I imagine Jairus jumping and shouting and dancing. Dance like the weight has been lifted. My daughter, she's going to be made well. Dance like the weight. Right? Like he was jamming. He just saw a woman touch Jesus and get healed. But the expert deceiver, Satan, at that very minute, the Bible says, again, you can read this in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. It says that somebody got there and said, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. You know what that teaches me? They had faith for Jesus to heal her while alive and sick, but not faith to raise her from the dead. Because the man didn't get there and say, hey, she died, but take your time. She's already dead, so just take your time, and when you get there, it'll be okay. No, no, He got there and said, don't bother him anymore. Let him go deal with other sick people. This is past his purview. This is past his power. And Jairus' dance and joy, I'm taking a little liberty with that, all of a sudden, a weight came back. So Jesus looked and said, don't be troubled. She's okay. And they continued walking. And they got to the house. And the Bible says that they were people playing the lute the, the, the flout, the flute, flout, whatever. The leer, L-Y-R-E. There were people weeping. Here's another little thing for you to know. In that time period, there was people whose job was professional mourners, professional criers. They would get hired to go to a funeral and cry for people. Some of you are like, man, I would do that. I can cry on demand. pray for you. <laughs> so you know what Jesus did? Jesus walked in and he said, why y'all crying? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And the Bible says they all started to mock him, ridicule him. The son of God. Some of y'all stop telling people you're Christians because somebody said, you're a Christian? It wasn't even real mockery, and that's it. You give it up. He started to mock him, and Jesus went inside. You know what Jesus did? He kicked everybody out except mom and dad, Peter, John, and James. He didn't even take all the disciples in with him. So Peter, when he gets to Tabitha, and everybody's there weeping, saying, look what she made for me, and now she's gone. No, she was my source of clothes, and she made it for me, instead of God being their source, right? She was my thing. And there, and Peter said, oh, I remember when Jesus healed that girl. Everybody thought she was dead, but she, Jesus called her back to life. And the first thing Jesus did was he kicked out everybody who didn't believe. As a matter of fact, I remember that that other disciple was there with us. Mark was there. Just give a name, right? And he even told Mark, go outside. Mark was really green in his walk with Christ. He, he'd only been there a little bit of time. I'm taking a little license. You got me, right? 
I'm going to look at that for scripture. Like, pastor was lying. That's not in there. So Peter's like, wait a second. That's the Messiah. That's the guy that died for everybody. And he kicked out everybody who didn't believe. The first thing I got to do when I find the dead situation in my life is kick out everybody who doesn't believe with me. And some of us are still dealing with death in our life. And I'm talking about death of dreams, of vision, of calling. We're dealing with death and we're sitting there mourning something because we're surrounded by people that continue to speak death and sorrow. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm sorry. You tell me you're sorry that I'm going through this. I'm going to kick you out. Because doubt is the opposite of faith. So Peter followed Jesus' example and kicked everybody out. He actually stayed by himself. Jesus stayed with three disciples and the parents of the girl who were believing That's part of our issue sometimes. We're finding something dead in our walk with God, and we are not speaking life. We are just agreeing with everybody that's in mourning. So the first thing that Peter did was put everybody out. Say, put out. And then the second step in causing that in your life, which is dead, dormant, sleeping, to arise, the second thing you've got to do is you've got to pray about it. You got to pray. You got to turn to God and seek God. And after he had prayed about it, then he went a step further. He looked at the situation, called it by name. <clears throat> Same thing Jesus did. Jesus said, Little girl, get up. Talita kumi. And when she got up, he said, Everybody, hey, bring her some food. She's hungry. So Peter got her and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then verse 41 says, then he gave her his hand and lifted her. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. I've heard Christians receive a miracle from God and then stay quiet about it because they don't want other people to feel bad that God did something for them. Got quiet in this church. You know, the devil will operate in shame in your good times and bad times. You were in sin, so he brings condemnation and shame so that you don't go anywhere and you try to hide from God who always knows where you are anyways. And then you have a victory and he still tries to put the doubt in you and say, oh, God did that for you, but you can't tell anybody because then they're going to get jealous and they're going to get upset and they're going to get this and they're going to look at you funny. Shame the same. So Peter got her and said, where are all the widows at? Boom. He proclaimed it to those that didn't have faith. Why? So that when they go through their death stage, in whatever it is that they're facing, they will have the faith to speak life. 
You know, some of you walked in, and, and we have two types of people here. We have men and we have women. Y'all thought I was going somewhere deeper with that. No. A very high percentage of men, very high percentage, are not detail-oriented. I'm not saying every man, but a high percentage. And most times, women notice things. So I would venture to say that a lot of men walked in today and did not notice different decor around the church. But I'm sure a lot of women walked in and said, hey, the hallway's different. So if you hadn't noticed, we've got about 40 clocks around church right now. And it's not so that you can look anywhere to find the time instead of your phone, okay? It's because of this. Church, the time is now to arise into the purpose of God in your life. The time is now. It's not later. It's not a year from now. It's now to call that which was dead to arise. The vision in you, the dreams in you, the desires in you, your marriage, your finances, your health, your children, all those things that in the natural eyes you are seeing that they are in their deathbed. God says, kick out of your circle the people that don't believe. Amen. Begin to pray and then speak life. And lastly, feed the vision once it gets up. Pastor, what do you mean by feed the vision? Okay. I'm going to try not to be offensive to anybody, but I'm going to go there. There's people that pray for stuff, but then don't do anything. I'm going to give you an example. Whether it be a man or a woman that is praying for their spouse. God is going to, as a lady, right? God, you're going to bring me that man who's on fire for you. Or the man is praying, God, you're going to bring me that woman that's on fire for you. My Eve to my Adam, right? Like, being very poetic. And then you're like, hey, you know, we're going to have this event at church. We're going to do this thing. Why don't you come? No, 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 because I'm waiting for my man. <laughs> Honey, get on a diet, go to the gym, and then go to the movies. Because if you stay home all the time, you ain't finding nobody. <laughs> Feed the vision. Feed the vision. You have a dream to start a business? It ain't just going to happen. Learn everything that you can so that you're ready for it. Feed the vision. Because some of us, we've kicked out the doubters. Some of us are praying about it. Some of us are speaking life. But if you leave it there and you don't feed Tabitha, she's going to die again. If the little girl had not been fed, she would have died again. Because that which you do not feed dies. If you know my wife, she does not like bugs or lizards. And I was getting ready for men's conference. I was here at church by myself just worshiping and, and getting ready for conference and stuff. And uh, she encountered a lizard this big at the house. Okay. This big.
Any other day of the week, she would have called me and be like, there's a lizard in the house. For kind of a lot. While I was in Cuba on a mission trip, she sent me WhatsApp videos of a thing that, you know, like, I'm dealing with this. What do I do? You know? She made a choice. I told you my wife is a rock star. She made a choice. He's getting ready to preach to these men. I'm not bothering him. So she went to the very next best thing. Abigail! (laughs) (laughs) Abigail! There's a lizard! So Abigail's watched me before, right? Because I don't like just killing him. I'll get a cup, and I'll catch it, and I'll put it outside or whatever, right? So Abigail went to the kitchen. She's like, I got it. She got a cup. She's trying to track down the lizard, and Patty kept going, ah, ah. You should tell Abigail to tell you the story. Until the moment that Abigail says, Mom, stop. You're scaring me. Like, you know, you're getting me. So I find out the next day that somewhere in the house, there's a cup with a lizard underneath. I mean, I got home on Friday night after our men's conference, after party and all that stuff. I got home at like 12 o'clock at night. I did not notice the red cup in the corner. I did not. So yesterday in the afternoon when I'm hearing this whole story, it's like, can you check if the lizard is dead? And I'm thinking, it was a, this big of a lizard. It's been under a cup for two days. I sucker dead. Why? It hasn't eaten and it hasn't drank water. Y'all thought I was just telling you a story. I was getting to a point. No, of course he was dead, Joel. It was a little itty bitty lizard. Two days, no water, man. I took off that cup and the thing was like this, you know? All the flesh was consumed. It was dry. It was done. Why? Because it did not have nutrition. Once you speak life to your disaster and God does a miracle, if you don't feed it, it will die again. I got you. You Let me know when you're ready. You ready? Okay. So once God did your miracle, if you don't feed it, it'll die again. Oh. Listen to the preaching online. Church, worship team, come back to the altar. And I pray that you're receiving this message and an injection of faith this morning. Can I tell you something? There's nothing too dead that God can't raise from the dead. Some of y'all think that because it was a vision that God gave you, a dream that God gave you years ago, that is beyond God's reach. You're like that servant that came to Jairus and said, don't bother the master anymore. She's dead. See, you thought that if it was a certain amount of window of time, they could still be resurrected. They could bring out the paddles and bring it back to life. But God can reach down, and no matter how bad the situation looked, 
if you kick out those that are speaking death, and I'm not saying you don't talk to these people again. I want you to understand something. I'm not saying you excommunicate this person and never speak to them for the rest of your life. I'm just saying you don't bring them into the circle. Jesus had... Some of y'all think Jesus only had 12 disciples. The Bible talks about Jesus sending out the 70 disciples in pairs of two. He had the 70. He had the 12. But within the 12, he had the three. And just because somebody tells you in Christianese that they believe, if they're not part of that three, they were number four, kick them out. Don't bring them into the room where you need the miracle. You can't get anybody to pray with you about stuff. You can't just go to anybody. You go to your pastors. We have a pastoral team, Pastor Zach, Pastor Jose, Pastor Fernie. You don't just go to anybody down the street like, oh, pray with me on this. See, some people... They easily fall into Christian gossip. Well, what's Christian gossip? I've never heard of that. See, Christian gossip is when I ask you for prayer and you say you're going to pray for me and perhaps you even do pray for me, but then you get on the phone and you call, hey, Joel, man, this is not gossip. I just want you to be praying because so-and-so asked me for prayer on this. Then Joel says, oh, okay, got it, I'm praying. Hey, 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 David, look, look, look. I'm not telling you gossip, but... I just want you to pray with me because so-and-so told me that. And before you know, the entire church knows of your dead dream. That's another one. Listen, just because I preach like seven messages in today's preaching doesn't mean you don't come to church for the next seven weeks, all right? Like, Pastor, I got so full today, I don't got to eat for a while. And I go to, I, I go to somewhere it's all you can eat. Now eat. And Patty's like, is this, is this dinner? Like, you know, whatever. I was like, what are you talking about? Unless I'm asleep at six, I'm eating again. <laughs> Digestion goes quick. <laughs> Kick out of the circle those that aren't going to stand in agreement with you. Pray. Fast. Seek God. Speak life to the problem. Watch it raise from the dead. And then... Feed the vision. Feed it. Because then you will be able to maintain alive that which God raised from the dead. Church, the time is now to arise. The time is now to arise.